Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today is Anita Walker, the executive director of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, and a woman who is changing the way art and culture are consumed in Massachusetts. Welcome to the podcast, Anita. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Your latest initiative is called Culture RX. What's that all about? Well, you know, we recognize that probably the number one issue in America today revolves around health care. Um, you can't pick up the newspaper without reading an article about the epidemic of social isolation and loneliness, which leads to depression and even serious, serious physical health conditions like heart disease. I read uh, recently that social isolation and loneliness have the same impact on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So this is a real problem. We know that the arts and culture have the power to be a, an important antidote to social isolation and loneliness. So we wanted to start thinking about how we could really harness this power of culture uh, to address a problem that is rampant across America and certainly here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So our Culture Rx initiative has two parts. The first part is a first-in-the-nation partnership between the Mass Cultural Council and the Health Connector. And the Health Connector is the state's subsidized insurance program for people who do not get health insurance uh, through their employer. Um, it's all about access. It's all about reaching out to people who may not have thought about the arts and culture as being what we call a protective factor and staving off issues that can lead to serious health problems. So that's the first part of our program, and it launches in January. It's launching right now in January. And we have 100 cultural organizations in Massachusetts who will now accept the Connector Care Card, which is the subsidized insurance card, as free or drastically reduced admission to their programs. And the Health Connector, through its regular communications to some 200,000 Health Connector members in Massachusetts, will be reminding people, take a walk in the woods, go to Mass Audubon. Why don't you listen to a concert? Why don't you take in a play? Why don't you take a class in clay? Reminding people, um, really, the effects that research in the UK has already shown that people who participate in the arts and culture are 60% healthier than those who don't. So that's the part we're on right now. There's an even more exciting part to come. What, that's phase two? Yes, phase two is where we want Massachusetts to be the first state in the nation that really embraces a practice called social prescribing. Um, again, this is a practice that exists elsewhere in the world, but it really hasn't been commonly adopted here in the United States. We have some pilot programs already up and running, and we hope to formally launch our social prescribing initiative in the spring. So what is social prescribing? Um, this is where a doctor, a community health worker, a guidance counselor in a school, perhaps a social worker, um, sees a patient or client who could benefit from some help getting out of a lonely state or an isolated state and literally writes a prescription for cultural participation. Um, maybe it's an elderly person who, um, in order to prevent one of the most common uh, medical problems for the elderly, which is falling down, writes a prescription to take ballet classes, which improves strength and balance. Maybe it's a family that is kind of fraying because of a variety of factors that are going on in their um, community or in their family, and they write a prescription to go to the Children's Museum as a family. Um, maybe it's um, 
a doctor who thinks that somebody could benefit from moving around a little more and hasn't been able to incent some exercise and gives them a membership to the zoo where they can walk around acres and acres of land um, and not even realize they're exercising. There are huge benefits to social prescribing. In fact, um, the World Health Organization just a couple of months ago reviewed 900 studies about the relationship between the arts and culture and health, and they made two conclusions. Arts and cultural participation are effective in promoting health and well-being, and they're cost-effective. And how does this work in a practical sense? What role does the Cultural Council play? Well, we have a third agenda, and that is the financial health of our cultural organizations. Um, As many of your listeners may or may not know, we support close to 400 nonprofit cultural organizations in the arts, humanities, and sciences here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We visit all of them. We know them very, very well. And one thing that we know, whether you're a large world-class organization or a small neighborhood art center in a rural community, every single one of our organizations is really struggling with day-to-day challenges of making ends meet. So we're trying to think of a new approach to provide resources and recognize the value and cost of providing the services that they do. So the way this is going to work is we are going to be um, uh, engaging organizations, probably to start in a pilot project, maybe 15 to 20 organizations, who have an existing relationship with what we would call a social prescribing organization. So it could be a community health center, it could be a school, it could be social workers in their region, and um, ask the prescribers to write a prescription for a cultural experience. Then the organization, when that prescription is presented to them, will send it to us and we will fully reimburse the cost of that. We've asked our organizations to do an awful lot. Um, We can talk a little bit more about, for example, the EBT Card to Culture program, and even the Health Connector program that I just talked about. Our organizations are stepping up enthusiastically and providing these services, free admission, discounted admission, with no reimbursement from us. So the social prescribing component of our Culture Rx initiative is an opportunity for us to recognize that there is a financial cost to providing these services and reimburse our organizations for doing exactly that. This will give us a chance to do some research, to prove proof of performance, prove the effectiveness of the work. We'll be uh, reviewing uh, the impact uh, on providers, on the patient, on the organization. Um, But we think this is a tremendous opportunity to really start to put the financial cost of the benefits that so many of our organizations are already providing to individuals in their communities. So just to be clear, that, that phase two approach you're talking about, the Cultural Council will step up and cover that cost. On the uh, connector portion, the arts groups themselves and cultural groups cover the cost or the reduced cost. Is that right? That's exactly right. And the Health Connector program is really built on an experience we've had that surprised us with success, to be honest about it. Um, And it's called the EBT Card to Culture program. How does that work? So we launched this uh, two years, and this was really in response to what we've been hearing for years and years from our organizations. They've been saying to us, you know, we want to open our doors. We want to attract new audiences. We want to serve marginalized communities that don't typically think of coming to the theater or coming to the museum. But here's the $64,000 question. 
how do we know who we don't know? We can have a free day, but who comes to the free day? The people who come on the paydays because they're the ones who know about it. So how do we extend this invitation to people who would never even think about coming to our organizations when we don't know their name and email address? So obviously what we needed was an intermediary. And we found one in state government, and it's the Department of Transitional Assistance. This is the state agency that issues the EBT card. Some people think of it as the food stamps card. But it is a benefit card that goes to people who are at about 150% of the poverty level or below. So we said, all right, here's the deal, Division of Tra- Department of Transitional Assistance. Um, we will recruit organizations to provide free and affordable admission to people who have an EBT card, if you'll just tell the people with the EBT card about the opportunity. So we started this, um, like I said, two years ago. Um, We said to our organizations, raise your hand, sign up, tell us that you'll offer this um, benefit to EBT card holders. Two years later, we have 250 organizations in Massachusetts that are participating in the Card to Culture program. But the next question is, If you invite them, will they come? If you build it, will they come? And um, two years later, the EBT card has been used for admission to cultural organizations 370,000 times. Now, two points. Number one, this program didn't cost the state a nickel. This is our organization's volunteering and a communications coordination between us and the Department of Transitional Assistance. But the other thing that really strikes me about it is when I think of how I feel at the end of the day when I get home and I'm privileged and get a nice paycheck, I think about people at 150% of the poverty level who struggle to put food on the table, um, worry about paying the rent, have no transportation whatsoever, and 370,000 times They were hungry for something they weren't getting. And that was a cultural experience, a moment to just bathe themselves in music or go into a forest and walk around or take their kids to the Children's Museum. Um, And that really spoke loudly to us, that there is a human need for this kind of experience and um, that it is beneficial. So that's why you're extending it now to the connector and, and its its constituency to see if that can be duplicated there. Exactly. This is, number one, about access, making sure that our greatest assets and treasures in Massachusetts, which is our arts and culture, um, are available to everybody. And as a state agency, which the Mass Cultural Council is, we invest precious tax dollars into these organizations. And by virtue of doing that, That means they belong to everybody. And we want to make sure that everybody benefits from our collective investment and the transformative experience that is available here in the Commonwealth. So give me a – so to someone listening, give me a couple examples of, you know, know, either no no cost or reduced price. Give me a couple examples of what people could take advantage of. Well, there is a list on our website and on the Division of Department of Transitional Assistance website and on the Health Connector website, uh, both of those programs. But let me tell you a couple of stories that really were very meaningful to me. The first was shortly after we started the um, uh, EBT Card to Culture program, we got an email from a woman who's struggling. I mean, it's called transitional assistance because 
these are individuals who are transitioning or who are trying to become self-sufficient. And she wrote us and she said, uh, you know, she says, I, I've been struggling in absolutely every single area of my life, financially, emotionally, relationship-wise. And now that I have this opportunity to go to the theater once a week with the EBT card, this is the one moment every week in my life that feels normal. And think about normal being the aspiration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's just like this respite. Uh, There's another story about um, a young uh, middle schooler in Boston who went to school one day and his teacher said, oh, well, you're in the right grade to join the orchestra. Would you like to join the orchestra? Well, he'd never been to an orchestra concert. He didn't know anything about orchestras and she said you know you can pick your own instrument he didn't even know the instruments in the concert in, in the orchestra so he went home he tells his mom this story and she says well we have the ebt card and and we can go for free to the boston symphony hmm. so she takes her son to the symphony and i just want to pause here to say that it's one thing to bring people to the threshold it's another thing that the experience is positive when they cross the threshold. You don't want that to be the last time a person comes to your organization. And the Boston Symphony has really worked hard to make sure that when these new audiences come for the first time, they feel welcome and that they feel like they belong. So um, the mother and her son show up, and the head usher noticed that they were EBT card attendees. And so she just went up and introduced herself and said, you know, why did you decide to come to the symphony today? And the mother says, well... Um, my son's teacher said he could join the orchestra, but he really doesn't know anything about it, and she said he needs to pick an instrument. Well, the usher said, come with me. She took him down to the front of the hall so he could see the instruments up close. She asked the musicians to demonstrate the instruments so he'd know how they sound. He kind of fell in love with the cello. His mother has tears literally streaming down her face. And sometimes we don't even realize um, what an important and amazing experience that can be for a young person who's never had the opportunities that so many of the rest of us have had. The final story I'll tell, um, which was kind of amazing to me in a way, because remember, we're talking about people at 150% of the poverty level. And I had uh, one of our organizations, which is um, Mudflat Studios in Cambridge, which provides classes in clay, in pottery making. And they're in the EBT card program. And I said, how's that going with you? And she said, The director said, well, you know, I've been a little disappointed because we've only had eight people come. And I said, well, but you offer classes, right? I mean, that's more of a commitment than just going to a show or walking through a museum. I said, what's the commitment to sign up for a class? And she said, 16 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, we have one student on the EBT card who is in his third semester. Mm, That's great. So – Long range from the uh, cultural institution's perspective, what, what's, what's their end game in this? Well, we have an end game. We have, uh, so we, we've been calling the social prescribing the moonshot. You know, we want to land on the moon and really start doing this in Massachusetts. And beyond that, we have a, a Mars shot. So let me back up a little bit and give you a little context around um, what's it like to run a cultural nonprofit in Massachusetts or anywhere for that matter. First of all, a lot of people say, well, you know, they ought to act like a business. Why don't you just run those cultural nonprofits like a business? Except, you know, a cultural nonprofits create a product and then sell it for less than it costs to make. And I don't know how many business people would sign up for that business model. But that is the business model of a cultural nonprofit. In fact, what you pay for a ticket to just about anything 
museum admission, a concert, a play, you're paying about a third of the cost of creating that experience for you. So where does the rest of the money come from? Well, typically it's come from contributed income. Contributed income uh, looks like this. Um, it is Mass Cultural Council, and believe me, we are a teeny tiny sliver of the need of our organizations. Um, there used to be a fairly robust um, contributed income from corporations, especially when um, cities had home offices and the CEO moved there and raised his family there and was going to live there for the foreseeable future and wanted to make sure that his or her children had the enrichment that uh, they deserved, and so they would invest in cultural organizations. As we've moved into more of a branch office and global scenario with uh, corporations, and CEOs tend to take a three- to five-year run at they any— They come and go. Yeah, they come <laughs> and go. There's less of a commitment to investing in that kind of community richness. And what we've been seeing is that there's— fewer corporations that are making contributions to cultural organizations. And those that are frequently are there more transactional than they are real philanthropy. They'll say, well, you know, we want a sponsorship. We want this much advertising. We want this many free seats. We want a reception for our high-end clients. And by the end of it, it actually hasn't added to the bottom line of the cultural organization at all. Hmm. Um, so that's a dynamic so that is not considered a prime target of our organizations for fundraising. Um, there are foundations who do private philanthropy, but we've noticed that, first of all, the arts and culture don't typically end up at the top of the priority list. And secondly, um, it tends to be um, less predictable. Uh, foundations often will, you know, say environment is the number one issue this year, or maybe next year it will be um, education. And uh, again, arts and culture is not typically finding itself at the top of the heap. Um, so really the most, most contributed income nowadays comes from individuals. And the generation of philanthropy isn't getting any younger. And the generation coming up behind is saddled with college debt or they're investing in their startups or and so they're not there yet. So there's a we've gotten the blood from the turnip of contributed income. And unless we come up with some new ideas about resourcing financially our organizations, uh, we're very, very concerned about them. We're concerned about their financial viability. Now we can look at models elsewhere in the world, um, in Europe and in Canada, where the government stands up straight and tall and is providing half or more of a, of a budget of most cultural organizations. But that's not the way it works here in this country. The public-private partnership model has been the model through which we support nonprofits in this country. But the, um, the private side is, um, is a struggle for organizations just because of the nature of the way it works now. So our Marshot idea uh, with CultureRx is if we can prove through our pilot project, and there's already data behind it. Fortunately, there's a ton of research that we can look at and have looked at. But if we can show that it's cost effective to write a prescription for a cultural experience, maybe as a first choice of intervention um, before we go to the pharmaceutical companies, if we can show that there is some kind of a dent in the rampant 
um, opioid crisis and drug addiction and other consequences of social isolation and loneliness because caregivers, whether it's a guidance counselor or a social worker or a, a health worker, sees a potential problem and writes a prescription for a clay class for 16 weeks that'll just take you away from whatever that thing that's dragging you down and, and tapping into your own agency and your own creativity and your own self-determination. What kind of a difference can that make? Research shows it does make a difference. So we can prove it out. We might be able then to, and we believe that we're sort of on the threshold of uh, some disruptive innovation in the way healthcare is funded and managed in this country. Maybe we can find a way to convince insurance companies that this is a good investment because it'll save money. You know, insurance companies will pay for your gym membership. Insurance company will give you a benefit if you don't smoke. If they can see the benefit of uh, cultural or cultural participation as a protective factor and as prevention against much more expensive consequences, you know, maybe we can find another little resource stream uh, for our organizations. And that's that's kind of the Mars shot for us. But uh, we believe we can prove it out. And we think if there's any place in the United States this could happen, it's right here in Massachusetts. So proving it out is the phase two that you talked yeah. about. And I've read that uh, you've got two pilots, right, in the Berkshires and in Springfield? Yes. And actually, on the on the cusp of a third. So the one in, uh, in the Berkshires is really a collaboration between um, – a pediatrics clinic, uh, social workers, um, the Austin Riggs Mental Health Center, and about 15 of our cultural organizations. And literally, last week, I think it was, they started writing the prescriptions to arts and culture. By the way, this isn't, this isn't a new idea that there are things beyond medication that can be beneficial to people and helpful. Um, we seen health centers uh, prescribing fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, providing prescribing a yoga class or an exercise class. Um, so we're just adding something else to the medical kit um, of, of uh, community health workers um, that might make a difference. That, and we've seen it make a difference in our organization. So um, that's one of the Berkshires. It's a collaborative effort. Um, the one in the Springfield area is with the Caring Center, which is a community health center. And in this location, we're really testing what is it going to take to have the health providers embrace the idea? So working very, very closely with the healthcare workers at the caring center. And how can we make sure that our organizations are best equipped to provide a, a result for the patients when they come? What do they need to be able to do? They need a point of contact, you know, sort of logistically. And then the third one I'm really excited about is um, uh, with the zoo here in the greater Boston area because uh, Community Health Center, Harvard Street Community Health Center, is interested. Uh, they have an agenda. They want to get those moms who just had babies to come back for their for their visit with the doctor, and they want to make sure that their babies are getting the best medical care. So they're looking at zoo memberships, family zoo memberships, as an incentive um, so that this preventive care that the community health center provides will happen for these moms. And so we're looking at 125 families that will be part of that program. And in those pilots, the Cultural Council is covering the cost of the arts organizations in that, yes. in that sense. So okay. these are the three pilots. Then it, later in the spring, we are going to invite 
um, a larger number of cultural organizations that, again, we want to work with those who already have these established relationships with the social providers and then work through this model of testing, uh, evaluating, and then, of course, reimbursing our organizations, which we think is absolutely critical. You know, we can't keep asking, asking, asking our organizations to do more and more and serve more and more people and do it for free and expect them to be able to continue to provide the robust and transformative programming that they're doing. And are you getting the resources to do that out of an existing program that you're sort of stealing from that to do this, or have you got new money for that? We actually have a tremendous opportunity um, with some new money, and it's a dedicated funding stream. Um, So not to add complexity to the conversation, um, but the Mass Cultural Council, according to statute, is to receive 2% of the tax revenues from the casinos, um, Everett and Springfield. Three quarters of that money is by statute designated to mitigate the harm to our presenting organizations, organizations that present nationally touring acts because of the disruption to the marketplace by the casinos. In other words, our organizations now compete with casinos to bring in the big acts that are part and parcel of their programming model. So three quarters of our funds will go in a separate grant program to presenting organizations. But we were instructed to take the last quarter and think of a way to address the financial stability of our cultural nonprofits. So we could have taken that quarter, and this year we think it'll be maybe $750,000, and just added it to the operating support that we already provide. But we thought, no, I think this is distinct money, and we have a distinct opportunity to not just stay on the treadmill, but really try to break some new ground and make a difference for our organization. So it's a discrete program and it is being paid for by the casino revenues. And actually, some people think that's kind of a nice use of the money. And let me ask you, sort of the last question I have is, um, you want to test this. You're, you're trying to prove something. Is a third party sort of monitoring this, or is it who, who's handling that? Who's doing the research about how effective this is? So our research partner is the Public Health Center of Western Mass, and uh, they eagerly uh, raised their hand and, and stepped right up um, to help us out with that. So they're going to be looking very, very closely um, at what's happening in the Springfield area and in the Western Mass pilots. Um, As to the larger pilot issue, when we start inviting more organizations on board, um, we want to get that established so there's a thing to study uh, in the first place. So we want to get our systems down. We want to make sure that we have a a system of reimbursement that's working, that the organization, everybody gets the program. And then once it's established, hopefully within, you know, the first six months, um, then we have something to take to a research partner and say, here's what we're doing help us out. Uh, what are the questions that we should be at? We, we, have, a, we have a research questionnaire that we are, will be using any, anyway to evaluate it at a very high level, but we want to really get and dig into it. And I think it needs to be a sophisticated research partner because when you're talking about health outcomes, there are privacy issues around individuals and their health, and um, that's not our line of work. So we need to get somebody who knows how to do that. And are any health insurers already, have you intrigued them at all with this? Well, I've had the opportunity to intrigue them again. That's thanks to our partnership with the Health Connector. And just last week, I was invited to join 
uh, a conference call with 15 insurance companies from all over the country. It's a regular call that they have with a health connector. And so I was able to pitch uh, and describe what we're doing. And and not to name names, but um, one of my colleagues was at an event talking about this, and a fellow from an insurance company said, oh, my gosh, we want to be in. Let my company be the first on board. So we're not ready to go to that step because we don't want to ask for theoretical outcomes. We want to be able to say, look at what we've done. Anita Walker, this sounds very exciting. I can't wait to hear how it turns out. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And we'll see our listeners or we'll be with you again next week.